money and we had to create an online network. It was this really interesting challenge that I'm so thankful that we had that challenge because it allowed us to realize what online video was. Mm -hmm. It was this raw, transparent um, platform where we could post stuff with an iPhone and it was valuable content. The content was about connection. It wasn't about production value. It was, it was everything we didn't learn in film school. Welcome to Suiting Up Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Rabel, pro lacrosse player in New York and with Team USA. And this is a show that explores the psychology, playbook of tools and strategies of some of the most influential people in sports, entertainment, and business. My job is to drive the conversation and the talent brings the originality. And this week's guests are two dear friends of mine. I've been working closely with Samir Chaudhry and Colin Rosenblum for the better part of the last five years, building out my YouTube channel, working through company marketing campaigns, concepting new projects, and consulting on a number of others. They're both writers, directors, producers, on-screen talent, entrepreneurs. I'm lucky to have met two young guys with their ingenuity, creativity, and probably, most notably, work ethic. Here's why you should listen. So I'm going to be up front. In my career over the last 10 years, I've been really fortunate to sit in a room with big-budget filmmakers, world-class marketers, best-selling authors, brand aficionados. It's also one of my favorite parts of the gig, gleaning from the likes. But I've never been more impressed with anyone in the game of creating content and telling a story more than I have been with Colin and Samir. And on the show, they tell us theirs, give recommendations to athletes, brands, and professionals of all types on how to tell your story, as well as quick tips on content depth. Let's face it, in today's world, whether you're an athlete, coach, team, org, business, product, selling a service, your success lies in your ability to sell, or how we say market, to share, to tell. It requires a voice, a camera, sometimes just a microphone, a pen and paper, a computer. And of course, during the show, with these guys, as media savvy as they are, we were creating content as the entire podcast was being taped. You might hear Brad Calder in the background snapping photos, time-lapsing with video, and more as we start from their recording studio in Hollywood. This episode is brought to you by Away Travel. So if you're finding yourself planning to travel home for the holidays, or if you just travel a lot like me, I think this ad is for you. I actually think you should use our student up promo code, which I'm going to give you at the end, to get yourself an away travel brand new suitcase and then a family member and friend for the holidays. It just makes sense, all that travel. And if you're like me, you probably run out of juice while you travel, especially in the airport. I think it's a combination of overuse of social media. I'm uploading YouTube videos and podcasts, all that stuff. Nevertheless, one of my favorite things about my away carry-on is that I have an embedded phone charging port, so I don't run out of juice anymore. It's also fast, sleek, lightweight, meets all TSA standards, which is great. I don't like checking bags. And on occasion, my friends compliment me on it, which is awesome. Away uses high-quality materials while offering a much lower price compared to the other brands because they cut out the middleman and go direct to the consumer. You can choose from a variety of colors and four sizes, the carry-on, the bigger carry-on, the medium, or the large. I prefer the large. And as you guys know, fans of the show, I like to discuss origin stories, the two co-founders of Away Travel were friends in New York who found themselves at JFK with dead phones, like me. Delayed flights, like me. And a bright idea, unlike me. Luggage with power. Thus, the Away carry-on was born. It's a great story and a great holiday deal. So to access it, you can get $20 off a brand new suitcase by visiting awaytravel.com forward slash Rabel. Use promo code Rabel during checkout. That is awaytravel.com forward slash Rabel, promo code R-A-B-I-L, 
20 bucks off. Enjoy your travels and enjoy your brand new suitcase. This is a very exciting time. Gentlemen, we're in LA and I've got both Samir and Colin with me, two guys that have been instrumental in my media career. Media career. <laughs> my, my YouTube career and then just generally thinking about how to create content around a career that once never was in professional lacrosse and now it's spun into uh, a number of different projects that we work on internally through Rabel Companies and then externally with you guys. Um, and now we're sitting here on a podcast and uh, we've talked about having this conversation previously as like you guys are representative, representative of probably now the third show that we've done on the inside. So Tyler, who helped co-create the show, that was episode 10 where we talked about why. And then my brother, who's been a business partner of mine for a long time, we recorded in San Francisco about what we do. And now this one's really interesting to me because you guys are friends first of mine, but again, part of the background of, of media dev. Uh, so thanks yeah. for uh, making this work. Well, thanks for having us on. I think it's really fitting because a couple of years ago, we really wanted to bring you onto the YouTube platform. Um, and today we're sitting here and you're bringing us into the audio space. In the audio which is space. something that we've, uh, Colin and I have always wanted to do. Um, but you know, something that's really exciting for us is to come into the audio space. Yeah, I, I would add to that that we're both fans of this show uh, and listen yeah. to it every week. So it's super exciting to be on it. Yeah, I remember being really nervous when I first put out Bill Belichick's show and you two were the, some of the first guys that I spoke with about feedback and ongoing. You guys continue to shoot me notes after episodes and stuff. So very cool. And did you plan that, by the way, saying that you brought me into video and I, then I'm I, bringing you into audio? Because that was really I, good. Yeah, thanks. I, <laughs> I, I didn't plan it, but it just seemed fitting. I just had this crazy realization sitting here, um, you know, what is it, three years later after us sitting together in Baltimore and us pitching you on, um, or not really pitching you, but finalizing things with the YouTube channel. Both. Where we were sitting, um, I think it was the Four Seasons in Baltimore or something, but sitting downstairs, and it was a really exciting moment for us that, that we were going to get to work with you on the YouTube channel. Yeah, and, and for those that are listening that don't know who Samir and Colin are, let's just have you guys quickly identify yourselves. This is Samir. Say hello. I'm Samir. And I'm Colin. Okay, great. And so the, the scope of the show for me is to, number one, talk about your guys' origin story, respectively, which I think is fantastic, uh, both growing up and having some major part of, of your life having to do with lacrosse and then effectively building the biggest lacrosse network um, that, that our sport has had, and you've exited that. So there's the business component, which we'll talk about. And then the second part, which I think will be a, a real utility to all of our listeners who are athletes, who are undergrads who are grads or entrepreneurs or CEOs or parents, the world that we live in now, which formerly social media was alternative media. Now it's really mainstream media. When you look at numbers, which we'll dive into later relative to traditional media, which is television, print and radio, how you guys can potentially advise if someone wants to get into content dev or content creation, what are certain strategies that they should think about? So we'll start with origin. Born and raised here in LA, um, I went to school, high school at, at Harvard Westlake, which is a school in um, the Valley. And when I was in ninth grade, it was the first year that we had a lacrosse club. So I played 
you know, tackle football. It was exciting. All of my friends, like, they all joined the tackle football team the first year everyone got to put on pads. And, like, whether you had played football before or not, everyone joined it. And it was just such a fun experience, kind of the camaraderie of, of being on a team and playing a contact sport was really fun. Um, and when the season ended, I wanted to continue that. And it, that year, it just so happened that lacrosse as a club was offered at the school. We were one of the few schools in the LA area where, you know, lacrosse was emerging. And, you know, it was a very alternative thing to do. It wasn't, you know, treated as a normal sport. We actually weren't allowed to practice on campus. We were bused about 30 minutes out to practice um, at a park. I mean, we were still operating as a club. And over the four years of playing lacrosse at, at the high school, it became varsity and started becoming a little bit more serious. And by my senior year, we had a lifting program um, and, you know, we're working out in the morning. But it was still not viewed as a, you know, real sport at the school. Mm -hmm. The most interesting things was walking at a park in LA, one of the few parks where they had lacrosse goals, and practicing over the summer and having... Um, someone walk up to me and ask me what kind of tennis racket I was using. Yeah. I was so fascinated <laughs> by that. Yeah, yeah. What are you using? <laughs> what is that? And it was a moment for me that uh, I, I remember really specifically because I was thinking about what is the difference between lacrosse and baseball and football and being out in LA, you know, really thinking about no one knows what it is out here. Right. And, you know, uh, growing up in Los Angeles, I was always interested in film. I studied film in high school and then went on to be a film major in college. But really, the biggest difference that I saw was was the media, was the fact that there's a show on HBO called Hard Knocks about football. There's advertisements all over, um, you know, the, the U.S. about baseball or whatever, and, you know, basketball, and it becomes the norm. But when there's a sport that doesn't have much coverage or much media or there's not, uh, you know, places to consume it or even see what it looks like, it's not widely accepted. And that was the biggest difference I noticed when I was in high school. Um, and this was before the sport was being sanctioned at a mass level yeah. out on the West Coast, right? Yeah, I mean, we had... And you know, different we had, now? Yeah, we had magazines back then. That was how I connected to the community, but there yeah. was no other way. I mean, it was purely through the magazines. So uh, fast forward, went to college at UC Santa Cruz, and I played club lacrosse there. And I had this awesome experience when I was 18, a freshman in college, to coach a high school team locally in the area. And so 18 years old, became the head varsity coach of this program in Santa Cruz, small While surf you town. were a freshman. While I was a freshman in, in college and, and uh, playing on the club team, just really into lacrosse and excited about um, spreading it. And that year we went 0-14. We didn't win a game. I had no coaching experience. The kids had no playing experience, not just lacrosse, but team sports in general, no team sport experience. It was like a, uh, um, an art school in Santa Cruz. And so that year we went 0-14. The next year, um, I decided to come back as a head coach and had to think about, what do I do here? These kids aren't going to be the best athletes in the area, not, not even close. There was kids going D1 for football who were playing on the lacrosse teams that we were competing against. But, you know, the one thing that I thought being a film major was, how do I get them connected to the sport? And my first thought was, what I need to do is get them connected to the characters, and that's how I was connected. I wanted to play like Kyle Harrison. I wanted to play like you. I wanted to play like Mike Powell. He was the guy I watched his highlights before every uh, game. Just like wanted to be just like those guys. That yeah, and where were those highlights at the time though? So at that time, YouTube had just launched. Yeah. That was 2007. And Mikey Powell and had Mikey the highlight had tape that was The number big. one lacrosse YouTube video. Yep. Um, 
So that's how you consumed it. That's how I consumed it was, was YouTube. That was him and Kyle and you were three guys who had highlight tapes. Um, and that was the way that I consumed the content. Yeah. When I was your age, I was watching VHS games. Yeah. And then there was a DVD of Mark Millen. I was about to say, so what I did was there was those three videos, but what I did was I aggregated games. I got DVDs and VHSs. I got Mark Millen's offensive wizardry, which was this, uh, awesome. You watched that too. Of course. Yeah. This VHS of lacrosse. (laughs) But just to put it into context for everyone, you know, there was, there was very little media and it was hard to consume on ESPN, um, or on ESPN three. So bottom line, I got as much media as I could. And I started talking about the characters rather than the game, go home and Google, um, Kyle Harris and Google Paul Rabel and, you know, aspire to be like them and watch the way they play and try and emulate that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, the next year we went, uh, we went seven and 10. The following year we went 11 and four and my senior year we went 16 and four and won a, a championship in the area. And so, after four years of watching that happen and being a part of something so special, it was uh, this small, you know, moment where I was like, wow, if that can happen on this scale, can it happen on a bigger scale? Can we spread the sport on a bigger scale? So you attribute a lot of your team's success to encouraging them to watching lacrosse and And, kind of fully immersing themselves in the game. Immersing themselves in the game and connecting to a wider community. Realizing what they were doing was, uh, you know, there was a community out there that they were a part of, and there was characters that they could aspire to be like. That's really what it was. And and so your business partner, who's sitting over Mm -hmm. here, Colin, um, he uh, grew up on the other coast. Yep. Princeton, New Jersey. So lacrosse certainly wasn't foreign in, in this area, particularly... Uh, in the 90s, where Princeton University was kicking everyone's ass. Totally. I mean, lacrosse was way more apparent. Like you said, I grew up central New Jersey. My my parents were both from Long Island. My uncle played lacrosse. Both of my brothers played lacrosse. Um, I mean, I was going to lacrosse camps by the time I was in fifth grade and became quickly a lacrosse fanatic, like was playing as much as I could. Um, I had started a lacrosse stringing company. And it, lacrosse, to me, by the time I got into high school was something that I considered to be like my identity at the yeah. time. I was a lacrosse player and I wanted to play like NCAA D1 college lacrosse and went, I went really heavy on the recruiting circuit and it didn't go as I had planned. And I think as I started to realize that like I was not going to play big time D1 college lacrosse, I was a little bit discouraged, but at the same time I also got more into like all of my arts classes in high school and started to kind of shape a new identity for myself. And that's when I decided that, you know, from a small prep school in New Jersey, I was going to totally change it up and go to a really large state school out west. Yeah. Um, And that made all the difference. And I initially did not even plan on playing lacrosse. I wanted to go skiing. I wanted to take art classes. I was an Italian major. Um, But I ended up, my second year in, a friend of mine played on the team and convinced me to come play. And... I had a lot of preconceived notions about what it meant to be a club college athlete, mm-hmm. just that it wasn't serious. It wasn't a high level of play. And I was completely blown away by like the, the level of play, the dedication of the players, the coach who, in my opinion, was one of the best coaches I've, you know, I've ever had. And I think one of the best coaches out there. And so I became, again, a fanatic of the sport and got really, really into what I was doing at Colorado. And when did media begin to influence you, and how did that incorporate its way into lacrosse? So when I was at Colorado, you know, part of my thinking throughout was that, 
you know, this is a story that deserves to be told, how passionate all of these players are. Even though they're not D1, you know, they, they pay to play. It's club lacrosse. Mm-hmm. But they're extremely passionate. We're competing at a high level. How much are, are you paying as, as a club lacrosse player, a club water polo player, you know, I, whatever I, the niche sport is, roughly? I think it can range. You know, for these, I would say, top 10 club teams out west who are traveling a, a lot, performing at a high level, you know, dues can be $2,500 yeah. per kid. Are you going to try to raise money, though, to, to mitigate that cost? Yeah. Of course. You're, you know, you're trying to raise money. There's a lot of fundraising that goes on. Um, but it's expensive to travel around yeah. um, across the West with a team of 45. Yeah. In a way, that, that feels to me that you, similar to like being invested in a company. Yeah, we may be a, an MCLA club lacrosse team, but we care more about this than, than anyone. We're, we're paying to play. That's the way I felt. I felt like everyone was so invested here that, like, if you didn't want to be there, you truly did not have to be yeah. there. There were no scholarships on the line. There was no pressure. This was on you if you wanted to be at morning lifts three days a week at 6 a.m. Yeah. So, so going back to capturing the experience then. So one of the first things I did, I think, once I got comfortable on the team, once I made the team and spent a season or two there, I, I started a blog uh, with a couple other guys on the team. The Red Hot Buffs. Yeah, it was called Red Hot Buffs at the time, uh, which was is a freight. Is that your, your branding It's there? not. It's my branding. It's not, I didn't come up with the name. <laughs> you came up with the name, but you did the brand. Gotcha. Yeah, it was a phrase that one of the guys would say in, in warm-ups, and he would scream it. Uh, and it was along the lines of like a guy who was selling peanuts, I guess, like a, you know, a yeah. baseball game. It gotcha. was said in that vein. Yeah. Um, but Red we, Hot Buffs! Red Hot Buffs! Yeah. And everyone loved it, and we would say it on the team, and... And that was one of my, you know, first experiences with uh, storytelling and creating a brand. I made a logo for it. We made shirts, and we would sell shirts to fundraise for the team. So how'd you, how'd you learn how to, to make a logo? At the time, I think I was making them in Microsoft Word. I was just picking a font, yep. screenshotting it, and putting it up on the blog. That's like what I do now. So, <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's where I started. PowerPoint. <laughs> but I loved that experience, and we were giving a behind-the-scenes look at our team. Mm-hmm. And I felt that that was important. That was a story that I wanted to have told. And I was an economics and Italian major. And when I graduated, I knew immediately I was going to do nothing with either of those majors. Mm-hmm. I just wasn't going to go back to Italy anytime soon. Economics, quite frankly, wasn't that interesting to me. And what I did was I hung around Boulder and I bought a camera off Craigslist, a DSLR camera. And What kind of camera was it? It was a Canon 60D. 60D. Yeah. Solid. It was a good camera. I got it for $1,000 off Craigslist. Yeah, because it must have just come out then. They had just come out. Yeah. And I also got a cracked version of the Adobe Creative Suite. And from there, I taught myself how to make logos and how to edit. If you don't know the Adobe Creative Suite, like anything you want to do creatively in terms of graphic design, editing, you can do with the Adobe Creative Suite. Mm -hmm. So those were my first two purchases after college. And I... I knew that no matter what I did, I was going to want to be entrepreneurial and start my own business. But I knew I didn't have any money. I was working at a hotel at the front desk to pay my rent. And I just knew that whatever I did start, I was going to want to know how to put up the website, take the photos, make the video. And so I might as well spend this time learning those things while I'm working at the hotel after college. And I decided I wanted to learn about video And I knew I wanted to have a good story. And in my opinion, the lacrosse team was one of the best stories I knew. And it was a story that I knew I had total access to. I had a good relationship with the coach, who was a great character. 
And he told me, he said, like, Colin, whatever you want to film, film. However you want to edit it, it's up to you. I trust you. Did you have to get credentials for the university to use logos and stuff? I did have to pitch it to the university. I didn't have to, I didn't use their logos because you weren't allowed to. Ah. But I did have to pitch it to the club sports department. Got it. I was listening to uh, Jeff Weiner, CEO of LinkedIn, talk about uh, committing to, to what you want. First, asking yourself as an individual, like, what is it that I want in life? And uh, he was actually sitting down with Oprah Winfrey talking about it. And they say it's hard enough, and it's a question that many people don't ask themselves ever genuinely because other stuff gets in the way uh, along the way. And, and he said, then those that do ask themselves and come up with the right answer um, find that it's in some shape or form their passion, uh, which in, in your guys' case, both, both of your cases, is creating media. Um, and then with this story here, like Jeff Weiner says, is like you have to invest equally in your passion as you do then to the skill set required to pursue that passion. And that's the area where most people miss, right? I'd love to create film or different than you, I love logo design, but I haven't invested time in Adobe uh, Workshop and figured out how to do it like you did, but you were like, this is what I'm passionate about. I need to develop that skill. Whatever it takes, I'm going to teach myself. So Colin then does a documentary and we'll kind of jump ahead and, and find your guys' timeline together tangential to that, Samir begins to build a relationship with an executive at YouTube, which again, this is like right when YouTube is, is kind of mm -hmm. reaching scale via video. Yeah. So it ties into the coaching experience I had. One of the kids on the team, his dad um, had just come over from Google to the YouTube sports department. Yep. I had never met him for over the four years. I'd never... Was this pre-acquisition? Heard from him. Of pre YouTube? No, it was post. Post, yeah, okay. Post. It was in uh, 2011 okay. uh, when this meeting happened. So reached out to me and just said, hey, that was a really special you know, championship game. The, you know, Everyone really appreciated it. It's, it's an amazing experience as a community. Can, I, can we go out to dinner and just catch up? Said, sure. A lot of the parents reached out to me. I had dinner with a lot of them afterwards. It was an awesome experience. Sat down and he, he was like, you know, I noticed you're a film major, so I just wanted to tell you, you know, I work at YouTube and we're going in the sports, like we're going in, a, in, in towards the sports direction. We want sports content. Do you have any ideas about lacrosse? And yeah. over dinner, we chatted about a ton of ideas. He said, can we turn your coaching um, experience into a movie? Can we turn it into a YouTube original sports movie? Mm -hmm. Can we create an instructional platform for lacrosse where you're the coach? Um, you know, what, what can we do? Do you have any ideas? Yep. And, you know, at that time I was a film major. I graduated in film and I looked at YouTube as a place for cat videos. This is a place where yeah. people post <laughs> like videos of their cats. Stuff it's, yeah, and, it's yeah. not, Jenna Marbles was on there. I mean, there was like vloggers and, and makeup tutorials, but it wasn't a place for oh, film. Oh, they were on there that early. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a place for film, right? Yeah. Or as I thought of myself, a filmmaker like me. And, and so I um, wasn't as interested in YouTube. I, I thought about it like a cool opportunity, but did he, didn't he offer you a job? Yeah. There was a lot of different discussions. Hey, do you want to come work at YouTube sports? Hey, do you know, do we want to partner on something? And bottom line, six months later, I'm sitting here uh, in LA, you know, not fully fulfilled with what I'm doing, trying to navigate the landscape and just my mom one day and sitting in the kitchen, um, in our house is just like, why don't you give Perry a call back? His name is Perry Tobin. Uh, why don't you give him a call back? He's called you every month. 
you know, for the past six months. He was being super persistent. Very persistent about um, exploring YouTube. And so I called him back uh, and said, let's have a meeting. Set the meeting before I had an idea. So let's have a meeting up, up at YouTube. And um, called a friend of mine uh, in LA, Julian, who was uh, another guy who went to school with me at Santa Cruz and studied film, had no experience in lacrosse. And I pitched him this idea of, what if we made an online network dedicated to the sport of lacrosse? Yeah. And I, at that time, the only way I could describe it to someone, um, the best way I could do it is say, the NFL network for lacrosse, the lacrosse network. Mm -hmm. um, this is a online network that's dedicated to the sport. It's programming about the sport. You can consume it whenever you want. It's uh, content that's going to be made by the community and I just was very passionate. I all of a sudden had this vision as I started consuming more YouTube content of this thing can be, um, you know, a real thing that exists. It's not going to be on television. It's going to be online. Yeah. And when him and I got together and started thinking through it over the next month, we ended up putting together a 62-page deck that we took up to YouTube with us. To you Bruno. and Julian did. Me yeah. and Julian. And we brought my dad. I don't know. I just brought my dad because I was excited about the, the meeting and I wanted him to come see what I was doing. Yeah, yeah. It was just exciting. So case negotiations broke yeah, out or yeah. something. So, you know? Yeah. So me, him and Julian uh, drive up to San Bruno for a meeting with YouTube. And in my mind, I'm thinking they're going to finance this network, right? Like they're going to put money behind it. They're going to be like, Google's going to purchase this idea or something crazy. But right. just sitting in the room, all I knew was I was passionate about it. And there was in my mind, it had to work. It was going to work. And so we sit in the room with the 62-page deck, and we open page one, and we start going through some of the research. And uh, there's three guys from Google in there, and, and one of them just stands up, and, or not stands up, but puts his hand down, and he's like, hey, I'm going to stop you right there. I don't want to see any more of your deck. Let's just talk. And we were, you know, Julian and I dressed to the nine, like dressed up. These guys in San Francisco are in sweatshirts and cargo shorts and <laughs> were coming in so, you know, they could tell that we were so overly prepared, which, uh, you know, they just wanted to have a conversation about it. Basically, they told us what was happening. Hey, YouTube is moving in a direction where we see it as a platform for niche communities, um, for premium content. And we think there's an opportunity in lacrosse. Um, if you guys have an idea... Um, we will support you in terms of helping you navigate the YouTube landscape. You'll always have a phone call. Um, you can bring us on the line with other people. Um, if you're trying to work out a content deal or a partnership, we're happy yep. to jump on the phone to help bring credibility to you. Um, there's no financing available for this, but if you guys have it in you, um, go ahead and, and do it. Yeah. And I remember we were driving back in the car and I felt disappointed. We, I, we didn't feel disappointed. My, my, having my dad up there actually was amazing because he helped spin it. He, not, not spin it, but he helped contextualize all of it. That, you know, when he landed in the U.S. in 1979, or 1976, sorry, from, from India, he, he had $5 in his pocket. And he told us basically we had the same thing. We had no money and we had to create an online network. And it was this really interesting challenge that I'm so thankful that we had that challenge because it allowed us to realize what online video was. Mm -hmm. It was this raw, transparent um, platform where we could post stuff with an iPhone and it was valuable content. The content was about connection. It wasn't about production value. It was, it was everything we didn't learn in film school. It was not about big cameras and big lights. It was about connecting with the community. And so basically, um, December 2011, we put up 
a video of some footage that I had of my club team, and officially January 2012, we start creating original content uh, for the Lacrosse Network. Did you ever think that billions of videos would be viewed on a daily and weekly basis on this platform? Well, I think because we were so connected to the team at YouTube at the time, we bought in fully to the platform. I mean, I the numbers I was seeing, the way they were explaining to me about, you know, in a minute's time, how much online videos uploaded and consumed, it was it became obvious. And uh, I, I started really looking at, you know, our model initially when we were talking about it was the tennis channel. Okay, here's a niche sport that launched a, a TV channel. Started looking at that and it was like, well, that's not, that actually doesn't make as much sense as mm. what these guys are saying with YouTube. Yep. This is the place where, you know, people are going to be consuming. And you were playing a future on the phone too. You were like, yeah. hey, I really like the direction of where these phones are going and how they're becoming. And that was a little bit by um, just virtue of what was happening. We produced a bunch of stuff. We bought a bunch, you know, we bought some camera equipment with the money we had and uh, we were producing a bunch of stuff, but then one day, uh, you know, in town, there was, there was a lacrosse game here in L.A., and we shot um, this, this player, Shamel Bratton, yep. just shooting. And we just took out an iPhone, didn't have another camera, put it on the lacrosse network, and it did 100,000 views. Yep. And at that time, that was huge for us, 100,000 views. My yeah. God, that's huge. Yeah. We were like, well, that was shot with a phone. Right. <laughs> you had invested I think in that's all this when equipment. we saw that. That's, I remember that being very crystal clear to me that that was – it wasn't about which cameras we were using. Mm-hmm. Um, and even more so, I'll, I'll bring us up to speed to when Colin came. So I think Colin really drove that part of our brand. And this was, this was now phase two, I would say, of uh, Samir Chaudhry's entrepreneurship and building it, the, the TLN business. Mm-hmm. And uh, what, what I like to, to say, and what we hear often um, in, in, in business or from number of different speakers among series is, is like fake it till you make it. Mm-hmm. So you, you, yeah. you thought your, you thought yeah. your business yeah. was going to be financed by YouTube. Mm-hmm. They said, no, no, we just want you to be on our platform. You said, okay, let me do this. And then uh, you found this young filmmaker that posted a documentary trailer. of his, uh, a trailer. trailer. It was only a trailer. Time. Yeah. Only a trailer. And at the time we were making, Julian and I were, you know, we were, we had very highbrow conversations about content, right? We'd go to lunch and talk about which content we thought was good and bad and argue over why it was good and why it was bad. And that's how we would shape our content. Um, but one day we both came across, we would check the blogs every day, the lacrosse blogs every day. One day we came across this, this piece that everyone shared called the What were the blog. blogs at the time? Uh, lacrosse All-Stars, Lacrosse Playground, yeah. Inside Lacrosse. One of the most important things I would say, um, and maybe this is for a little bit later, but I would say is being really aware of where your audience currently lives. So when we were first starting TLN, like the first thing that Julian and I did was say, okay, where does the audience currently lie? Before we put up this channel, like what are they consuming right now? And it was all text. It was all written content. And it was magazines and blogs. And occasionally a video would pop up on God, one of the blogs. were huge. I remember that. Blogs we were, were spending massive. on blogs. Yeah, blogs were massive. They were everything. Everyone was spending on That's where the advertising was. Yeah. Toyota spent with e-lacrosse. Yeah. You know, and I remember we did a lot of research at that time. Where's the advertising? Where's the content? It's all written content. So we were really familiar. And those three particularly were the ones we were the most familiar with leading up to, you know, making our first couple videos. Yep. But, um, you know, as as you know, young guys starting this network, we needed content. We could only create so much content ourselves, but we come across this video and it was just 
mind-blowing, the storytelling in the trailer. And I just remember watching it, and we were just like, this feels like, it felt like an MTV show, like an MTV reality show. The way you were, all of a sudden we were connected to the filmmaker and the characters, and it, within two minutes, um, we were just so connected to the piece and wanted to see the first episode. And all you posted was a trailer. It was, it was nothing like we had ever seen in the past. Red Hot Buffs. I put it on Vimeo, first off, so that's where it shows you. I wasn't uh, even thinking about YouTube. But I put it on Vimeo, wow. Yeah. and I had actually, I was a member of this online community. I was always on the blogs. I had written for a couple of different blogs out there. And before we even launched, I reached out to a bunch of them. And I asked if they would support it, just in terms of sharing. Uh, and I actually put all their logos uh, at the end and gave them branding. Uh, which looking back now, it's funny to look at those episodes and see like, I just wanted as many people behind it as possible. Yep. And if you said just with a vote of confidence that you would share it, I would take your logo and put it at the end. Today's episode is brought to you by doing something nice for someone that you care about. And especially during the holidays. Also brought to you by Pro Flowers. I've always felt like cards are special. But a beautiful bouquet of flowers with a card is even more special. You know what I mean? Get some flowers for the wonderful women and men in your life. I've sent and received bouquets from Pro Flowers, and they always come carefully packaged in a long box, included banded stems, they're beautiful and fresh, and soil and a vase. Up this holiday season is their recommended bouquet of festive plants, and what I love, also a bestseller, candy cane roses, or their classic mini Christmas tree with lights and ornaments. Both are game winners. ProFlowers wants to help you give a gift during the holiday season with our special code for all of you listeners. Get 20% off any ProFlowers bouquet or plant of $29 or more. That's 20% off. Moreover, ProFlowers bouquets are guaranteed to stay fresh for at least seven days or your money is back. And my favorite part, you control the delivery date. So to get 20% off your holiday bouquet of $29 or more, go to ProFlowers.com and use my code CROSS at checkout. The second part of La Crosse. That's proflowers.com and use code C-R-O-S-S-E. I love the holiday season. So, courting Colin. So, this was an interesting uh, experience. I mean, a lot of lessons learned in the first six weeks of of starting a business. But, um, you know, for me, the second that, that we started the business, opened the company, started the channel, I was the president of the lacrosse network. Yep. Um, yeah. And that's how I treated myself. I was the president of a network. Right. And so, the, you know, right when I saw um, this piece of content, it wasn't even a question. It was like, this is going to be, a, this has to be on the lacrosse network. This is exactly what we're trying to do. And just to piggyback off what Colin was saying about the skateboarding community, one big distinction here was that it was a piece of content that was made from within the community and with a voice of someone who understood the authenticity and the language of the space. And that's a visual language, and that's a, a, a verbal language as well. And that authenticity was exactly what we were looking for. When you turned on ESPN and watched the lacrosse game, oftentimes, actually not oftentimes, every time, the announcers would explain the rules of the game. And I remember that was a really confusing thing for me, because I was saying, who is this for? Is this, actually, is this really for a true lacrosse fan? Because if they're watching, they don't want to hear... The rules of the game that we assume they already know it but if it's for a mass audience how many people are really tuning in here to watch lacrosse who have no experience with the sport mm-hmm. so you know that for me was something that was really important to tln and something that colin captured 
perfectly. This is from within the sport. So you know what else is really interesting about media and content? It's like build up, build up, build up, build up, build up. People are waiting, people are waiting, yep. people are waiting. So now let's finally tell the story. Let's of how do you it. Got. Yeah, I <laughs> know. I was just thinking this has been the longest build up to how Colin and I. Yeah. Really Anyways, I mean, like any entrepreneur, the, the way you meet someone is a cold email or a cold message, right? That's, yeah. You just have to do it. So introduce myself to Colin. Hi, I'm the president of Lacrosse Network and I'd like to offer you, I think I said like, I'd like to offer you a distribution deal with TLN, like something really, a lot of big words, a lot of big network <laughs> entertainment words that I had heard thrown around Hollywood. And basically like you almost said you were from Google, like everything you could do, but without saying that exactly. Colin came back with the most pure filmmaker, like artist reply <laughs> through this whole process. And I was so shocked. I yeah. mean, coming from an entrepreneurial background, I remember just listening to the way that my dad would negotiate um, on the phone and just being with him growing up and understanding that all of a sudden I was dealing with a completely different beast, someone who couldn't be convinced with nearly anything if it hindered the art form. And there was a really pure nature to that, that he cared so much about the art. So to give you an example of that, my brother is a lawyer, and uh, at that time, he watched the episode. He gave me all of my consulting, and he watched the episode, and he said, wow, looks great. Um, does he have rights to all this music? Yeah. And, you know, obviously, the answer was no. It was just pop music that Colin liked to put in there, and it sounded great. It made the episode really powerful. Um, indie music, sorry. Not popular. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Indie, indie rock. It wasn't popular. Okay. This was next-level stuff. This was, I mean, indie rock, sorry. Like, I'm a fan of pop music, yeah. but that's not what was in there. You're right. It was indie rock that was in here. And that was actually a really cool touch to add in a sports piece. But for an example, like my brother said, does he have rights to this? And, you know, obviously the answer was no. And so I email Colin and say, hey, you know, let's move forward with this, but you got to change all the music. Yeah. And, and I'm the, the president of the lacrosse uh, Yeah, and can't, you know, we can't like, be doing this, yeah. right? <laughs> and uh, the answer back was like the most clear no. It was just like, uh, oh, man, that's a bummer. All right, we're going to keep doing it on our own. <laughs> I already had a couple episodes in the bag. Yeah. And that, to me, was an important part of this process. Again, I was so confident that this was a learning experience for me. Yeah. And the more people that could see it, the better. Mm -hmm. I, didn't need to be, I didn't need to be held back by this guy in Los Angeles telling me I can't use this music. Yeah. I was like, I've already used it. I'm yeah. going to keep doing whatever I want to do. Mm -hmm. Until. Yeah. So basically, I think an important lesson you learn as an entrepreneur early on is, is what risks to take, right? And I evaluated this risk way too much now looking back on it of, of putting the music on the channel and decided that it was, it, it, this content to me felt make or break. Felt like it was going to push the network into the space as being the hub for premium content because it was the most premium thing out there. It was being released just on Vimeo and uh, on, on Colin's platforms. And I was like, it just has to be on TLN. So we took the risk and we said, yeah, okay, music is fine. Let's work together. Yep. Let's do this thing. And uh, did you get pushback from the, the folks at Google? We're like, hey, man, can't monetize on this video now. Um, we did, I, I didn't ask too many questions at yeah. that time. I, I think I moved in a direction. We were working on live streaming at that time pretty significantly uh, with them and, and not just live streaming lacrosse, but live streaming sports. We were, we became the biggest, um, live sports YouTube channel, uh, in, in 2013, I think it was, um, did over 300 live events with Google. And so, uh, testing that was the most important thing that we had with them. That relationship was very important. 
um, very significant. And so what we were doing with club ball was we, we kept that to ourselves a little bit, but it was by far and away um, the most successful program we did in the first year of TLM was club ball, the show that Colin did. Yeah. And how'd you get Colin full time with you? We were working remotely with Colin for quite a while, six months maybe. And, and just working with him on episodes and, and show notes. And he, he started helping us with our branding, um, which, you know, Julian and I just weren't, weren't fantastic at branding, but he, he cared a lot about the platform that his content was on. And so like, if he didn't like the way something looked, he sent us a new, at the time YouTube had channel skins. You could, mm-hmm. you could uh, change the background of your channel. And so he sent us skins for release dates of club ball and uh, made the branding all look cohesive. And it opened our eyes to how important that part of uh, having a media company was, was the look and feel of everything, how to launch something, um, how to make it feel big. And I uh, reached out to Colin the first time we met in person was probably three or four months after we had already been working together remotely and met him in Denver to produce a short documentary on the Denver Outlaws, which is a professional lacrosse team. Mm-hmm. Um, we went out there and shot together. It was our first opportunity with the major league um, and just went out there, shot it, met each other and came back. And then him and I started talking about him moving to LA. Different now, we're in 2014. Previously, we started in 2011. Now we have the other platforms that are reaching scale. Instagram, Facebook's adding video, Twitter has video, other, all the other platforms are starting to experiment with live streaming. We transition away from your guys' development as creators off the back of lacrosse players and now as consultants to uh, everyone from brands to athletes like myself in and out of the sport. When you look at a lot of the conversation when it comes to content creation, one word that is shared sometimes too often is authenticity and finding your authentic voice. Um, When you go into a meeting, whether it's with Gatorade, whether it's Warrior New Balance, whether it's with Under Armour, whether it's with someone like me or Miles Jones or Kyle Harrison, how do you look at what is this person or what is this company going to do to have an impact across these new platforms? I think the most important thing that you can do and that we do is we listen a lot and we try and sit in that meeting and understand. And sometimes you have to decode, uh, you know, the conversation and understand what exactly is the goal here? What are you trying to get across? What's the history? If it's a brand, what's the history of this brand? Where does it stand today? And who are these people in this room? What's their message they're trying to get across and really trying to pull that out. And afterwards, you know, and I'm going to let Colin speak to this a lot, but Colin um, and I, we care a lot about storytelling. And so coming out of a meeting like that and writing the story that we heard, um, what did we hear? What's the story that they're trying to tell? And then taking that story and saying, okay, what's, how do we marry that with an engaging piece of content that tells that story, but also keeps an audience entertained um, over a period of time. Yeah. To me, it feels like you guys have always preferred storytelling over selling. And it's actually like you, you draw a hard line. You're like, you know, we'll take any company that wants to sell a product or a service and they'll always want to plug that toward the end. And you guys believe, um, 
deep down that like, hey, if we storytell, they will come and purchase. The consumer will come and buy your product. And, and so much that, that you advise to stay away from any type of tangential sell. Storytelling is the core of human connection. It, it absolutely is. It's one of the oldest forms of entertainment, of communication. Storytelling is absolutely at the core of connection. And once you have someone connected, you're able to you know, communicate a message to them. And that's, at the end of the day, how I believe that that you know, sales process happens is if I'm connected to you um, and I can have an honest conversation with you, then you'll probably believe what I have to say. And I truly believe that there's no other marketing in the world outside of word of mouth marketing. Everything else just accelerates it. So uh, I see a billboard for, you know, a Herschel backpack that accelerates me talking about it or me hear If I hear it from someone, it accelerates what's happening in my mind. Mm -hmm. And so if we're able to tell you a story and get you connected to the brand, the history, and, and the message, then it's more likely that you're going to listen when we have something to say about the product. Gotcha. Colin, what do you let's, – let's revisit your thinking around my channel in particular and then my strategy across my platforms because you were doing all of the editing right out of the gates when we first started working together. Um, when you're thinking, okay, I'm, I'm going to work with Paul Rabel and this could be – any of the next athletes who are in our sport now or other sports or listening right now and you're young is like, what was your thought? What was your goal? What did you want me to do? How did you want me to create? I think the first goal with anyone who wants to start creating content is that you have to want to be there on that platform authentically. Mm -hmm. So when we started working with you, right, I was still getting to know you yeah. a lot. I didn't know exactly what you wanted to be talking about. Did you want to be talking about stringing your stick? Did you want to be talking about field rules? Things like that. You were also probably concerned that I wasn't going to commit to the platform. I was concerned you weren't going to commit. I was concerned you were going to get, I was. That you were going to get angry <laughs> and leave the platform if I, if I pushed back. Yeah. Right? It was a sort of a delicate balance. but That athlete presumption, you know? Yeah. As I started to spend more time with you and understand that, that there were things that you... And I actually, too, generally connected on, which a lot of it was like business, media, entrepreneurship. I enjoyed hearing about your tattoos. That was one of our first videos that we made for your channel that was a little bit separate from lacrosse. Mm -hmm. It was about your tattoos and sort of the origins of those, yep. which are very personal and not about lacrosse. Right. So as I started working with you, my main goal was, all right, in the beginning, when, when I don't know you as well right now, let's focus on putting lacrosse videos out there because we know... That's where your core distribution is. That's what your audience loves right now is lacrosse. But if you're going to be invested for the long term and we're going to find success outside of lacrosse, I have to understand what you authentically want to talk about. And I think that's the most important first step for any content creator is knowing yourself and what you actually genuinely want to be saying on these platforms. So what are some ways that, that an athlete can go about figuring that out? Is it just some deep soul searching, is it note taking, is it consulting? I could see how it's nerve wracking. I think if you're an athlete, what you need to try and do is differentiate yourself from the rest of the pack and find your niche, hmm. right? Like you are the athlete who does X or is interested in Y, talks about Z, yep. right? You gotta find that one thing. So, so I think that's the first part, right? Is find your niche 
within your sport or, or within your world, right? What's the one thing outside of your, you know, behind the scenes of your sport mm-hmm. that you want to talk about? But the second thing there, I think, is that you have to also have someone for a little bit of guidance that you trust. You're, you have an elevated platform. So you want to be able to experiment with content, but you obviously can't be super risky. You can't operate with the same levels of risk that someone who's not tied to you know, a big sports league is. Mm-hmm. Right? So I think that's, that's the two sides. It's you want to experiment and find your niche, what you want to talk about. Also have someone who you trust to give you some you know, authentic feedback. You know what I've noticed over time? Well, personally for me, I, uh, I grew up watching big time NFL and NBA athletes be fairly reserved in press conferences, uh, humble with their remarks to the team that they either beat or lost to, and then go about their business and their work ethic. Um, when I was, began working with you guys, listen, holding a camera and vlogging and being like, you know, in, in some cases, like forceful in my emotional levels because there's stuff that goes on behind the scenes during our lives where like, you know, you're not always feeling like really jovial and ready to vlog. Um, but I did find that experimenting and one of the groups that I would watch would be uh, do, do Perfect at the time and how they just raise the tone of their voice. And that grabbed the attention of the viewer. And I did some early videos that were more monotone, and it was boring. What I would love to touch on is when you talk about those energy levels. Yeah. And when you're putting yourself on camera and you're going to be that face, something Samir would always say to me, because he was much better at it than I was when we first started doing it. He would stop me and say, imagine right now you're at a lacrosse clinic and there are 40 12 to 15-year-old kids in front of you right now waiting for you to perform, sort of, and to talk to them. And I would imagine myself in that situation and bring that level of energy. Mm -hmm. You know, because if you're there in person, you're at a clinic, you're not going to be monotone, you're not going to be dull, especially if they're young kids with their attention spans, you know, going left and right. You're going to really bring that energy. Yeah. So I think that's a a great tip. And I think think for the performance standpoint, too, a lot of folks think that to create content, you have to be talking to the camera. And I actually built a lot of confidence by just doing stick tricks and not communicating to the camera at all during the early stages. I think most of our videos before we launched the Ask Paul series was just you know, me doing a workout, wearing a GoPro, which still at that time felt nerve-wracking for me because I was capturing my own content where previously you relied on other people to do it for you. But that helped build my confidence. And I think there's a world, and there are massive YouTubers now that don't really talk to the camera too much. They're just unbelievable soccer trick artists getting millions of views. So one thing I wanted to touch on was the fact that when you are an athlete or um, you know, a personality and you decide that you want to put yourself on camera um, or start creating video content or anything like that, you sign up to treat yourself as a product, right? You are a product that's going to be consumed by others. And that's your personality, whether it's a photo of you or whatever it is, it's being consumed. And in today's world, the speed at which things are happening, um, you know, in like the startup space, people talk about an MVP, right? A minimum viable product. And so you have to start thinking about that and deciding on like, okay, if I want to make YouTube videos, 
A, it's okay for me to start making videos and for them not to be published. I can get practice doing this the same way mm. I would practice my jump shot, the same way I would practice my time in room shot in lacrosse. Mm -hmm. I need to practice doing this. I need to understand what it's like to speak to a lens as, as if it's a human. That's one of the weirdest things in the world. Yeah. You're speaking to this camera lens, it's, it's a black weird. hole, literally, and you have to imagine that it's, in your case, 100,000 kids. 100,000 viewers in this little black hole, right? That is a challenge, and you have to practice that. You have to get experience doing that. So if you're not comfortable, like Colin was mentioning, if, if you're an athlete and it's a high-risk situation for you to release content that might not be that good uh, or that you might not be so proud of yet, um, you can start practicing doing that. I mean, this podcast, great example. Yep. You tested this before you did it, Yep. right? And so there's a great example of it is practicing it. And then also being okay, and, and Colin taught me this a lot with, with that public reiteration of your platform, that in today's world in entertainment, people want to be a part of the process. Um, a great example of this from early YouTube days is Justin Bieber. Justin Bieber was one of the first YouTubers who started uh, uploading, his mom started uploading videos of him. And all of a sudden, everyone thought that they were a part of the process of building Justin Bieber. From an early stage, at, in what was it, 2006, he was uploading videos, young kids singing, and as he started to gain stardom, there was videos every step of the way. And we watched him rise. Yeah. And that experience, there's nothing like that experience from a fan perspective of watching you change and watching you come into your own. If you were a, a fan of, of the Paul Rabel YouTube channel from an early day, look at it today. Yep. I got to be a part of that. And so being an athlete, you there's a little bit of it where you have to sign up for the fact that there's going to be some of your earlier videos that might be kind of wonky, but you're going to refine your product. And if you look at business today, there's apps that come out with beta programs. There's products that launch and then turn into something else. There's a lot of stuff like that that's happening because people are moving at a different speed. If you decide and you're listening to this that I want to start making YouTube videos or creating content, the best thing to do is create it right now. Yeah. Whether it's going to be out for the public or for you to watch and get feedback on, you have to make it. Two things jump out at me. One, Colin, I think, was right in saying you have to be a performer. If you want to do this, if you want to create a brand for yourself, think performance. And that means, that's not easy. That means leaving what your friends are doing behind in school, all right? Like, I tell people I feel fortunate in a way. It's a double-edged sword for me. I was the one of the first athletes to adopt these platforms and to go long and create consistent content on a cadence by which, you know, there's no other active athlete that does it as, as I and we do on my YouTube channel. Um, but because I was that early adopter, I never experienced that peer-to-peer -peer platform as everyone uses it now, say high school and college kids. You follow where I'm going? So... I didn't have to feel tension around saying, okay, I've been using Twitter and Instagram and, and, uh, and Facebook even to communicate with my friends and like post pictures of the night out and, you know, trip to Italy and all this stuff. And now all of a sudden I'm going to build myself into this performer. I just picked up the platforms and was a performer. So the double-edged sword is I miss out on all of like the peer-to-peer -peer stuff. Like I don't have the connection. I don't uh, on like the birthdays for the Facebook friends and stuff like that. I have my Facebook fan page that I upload to. So I just went right into performance. 
I do know that there's a challenge for young athletes now in high school, and I see it in college. I speak to a lot of young college athletes that want to go along and become pro lacrosse players, and they catch a lot of shit from their friends who are like, dude, you know, you are, uh, you're performing. Why are you performing? Stop that, right? It's not what we do. So you have to just commit to it, and that's hard, but it's not going to be good unless you do it. So that's one. And then two is uh, the difference, and this is what the three of us didn't have as early adopters. What a lot of these kids get now is they just get different access points and different examples. So go out there and look at someone in your sport or cross the, uh, the aisle in another sport, and what's you know, the, the prospect for the Heisman Trophy this year doing in football? And how is he using Instagram? Um, you know, what's the pro athlete using Instagram like? What are they doing? And you can use those as examples to kind of formulate your strategy. We didn't know what the hell we were doing. We just started pushing out content. And so where, where it was unique and you get the first mover's advantage, there was also a lot of product that makes us collectively feel really uncomfortable when we go back and watch it. I would add to that too, is that, you know, content because of these platforms is now easier to make. And that's why you even can publicly reiterate your content. And to think about it that way, that this is, it should be easy to make so that you can change as you're doing it. You don't need to stick to one type of piece of content. Mm -hmm. That's what makes it different from, you know, a 10 episode television show. It's like set in stone. Right. Um, like you, the next time you post, the, the, you can totally everyone change. forgets about the last And one. if you talk to your audience about why you're changing, then that works to your advantage. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, again, public reiteration is what will humanize you with everyone else that's following you. That's following you. Yep. Right? Like, they make mistakes, too. They change their mind. And that's what you can do as well when you're working on these platforms. Yeah, I remember that being really good advice on a number of different circumstances where you've been like, Paul, why don't you just tell people what's going on? Yeah, we've had a lot of conversations where I think sometimes you feel like you were sort of in a corner. Right. right? And you're like, I'm kind of stuck here. I can't make a different video. And say, no, just tell everyone what you just told me. That's not really what you want to make anymore. Right. And then you say that and everyone goes, oh, great. Yeah. Paul's doing what he wants to do. Yeah, I I literally remember we had a a video that we were promoing. It was with avocados from Mexico. There was branded content with Kevin Curry, Fit Men Cook. And there was just some last-minute clearance issues that we had, challenges with the client. And we had been promoting for two weeks this release on a Wednesday. And everyone's all excited. And, and I get a call from you guys, and we're like, it's going to be pushed back. And, and probably an entire week uh, because legal's out on Friday. And we haven't gotten the, the feedback yet. So I was like, gosh, we have to put out a video or say something to the audience. And we're like, just tell the audience it got held up. So I put, I put up that video. I remember recording it in the Inner Harbor uh, and sent it to you. And it was like, hey, guys, uh, unfortunately, the video's not coming up. Uh, we'll do an Ask Paul. How's that sound? And everyone was like, okay. <laughs> and we moved on. Yeah, people just want you to be there yeah. when you say you're going to be there. You know, you, like Samir said, you're, you are your product on these platforms. So you need to just show up Yeah, and just be yourself. Samir, how about for creating a video. Walk us through the steps from writing to storyboarding. Tell us what that all that means to capturing to post for those young filmmakers that want to understand how a really piece of thoughtful content is put together start to finish. Sure. 
So I think it, one very important thing is audience definition. That's always been, for me, like the most important first step. And what you have to understand is why are you making this video and who is it for? If you're making this video because you want to make it and it's for yourself and you care about the art, that's great. You got to understand that. Yep. If you're making this video because you want a lot of people to watch it, you got to understand that. If you're making this video because you want the lacrosse audience to watch it, then you have to understand that. And so audience definition is, it has been number one for me uh, since the beginning. Um, defining who is the audience for this piece. Um, as you move on, like, you know, that's, th that can change if you have like some crazy topic you want to cover. Oh, I want to talk about uh, making avocado toast, right? So then you still go, okay, well, who, who watches this, right? This is like a cooking audience. Is it the casual person, whatever? I, I mean, we've evolved from the processes that, that we used to have, but today, you know, from idea to uh, audience definition to actually writing out a script, um, Colin and I pass back and forth Google Docs um, of scripts. He usually takes like a first pass at the real script after we've jotted down a ton of notes. And these are notes in the fashion for me where it's like, you know, headphones in with music on, get a coffee and just start writing. Just start writing what you think about this topic and what you're trying to communicate to people. Um, you know, Colin will take a pass at, at writing out whether it's a script of voiceover or it's a script of here's, you know, the, the kind of general topics we're going to cover in this video. Um, we film it and that's always the most important thing is you film it and you, and you start cutting it and you put it in a timeline. That's usually the point where the video changes. Once it's put together and it's put on screen and we can sit together and watch it, that's usually when Colin and I are like, okay, now we see what this video is supposed to look like. Yep. So let's go shoot it. And so then we change it, we shoot it, uh, cut it again. And then once we're happy with it, uh, goes out. I would say that him and I have different strategies when it comes to um, creating a video. I probably look at it a lot from a distribution side and that's why audience definition is so important to me is who's going to watch this. And then from there I go to, okay, where do those people exist? Uh, early days of TLN, like I mentioned, the blogs were really important. We built great relationships with those blogs and they posted all of our video content. And that was how, you know, we got access to the community and, yep. and to that audience. And so I'm, I'm always going to look at it from a distribution standpoint. How can we make a video and, and, and put it out? But I'll let Colin speak a little bit more creatively because, you know, he was the creative director um, at TLN and today still in our relationship is he's the creative director. He's, he's the one who's driving the storytelling. So I'll let him talk about the process of coming up with a video. I think for me, and maybe it's a little bit selfish, but when I was always looking at ideas, I had to be passionate about the story in the first place or else I didn't really want to go out and film or even tell that story. So even as we were building the lacrosse network, I was looking for stories that weren't just about lacrosse, but, you know, that would relate to the lacrosse community, but could be told to anyone. I wanted, you know, my friends back home, I wanted my parents to find these videos enjoyable, uh, no matter if they played lacrosse or not. Mm -hmm. So for me, that was always the most important. There's a funny story about a content piece that has to do with the three of us. Okay. <laughs> so <Go> on. <laughs> one, of the, one of the bigger lessons I learned from Samir was when, uh, Paul, we did the move, yep. uh, which chronicled uh, your move, changing teams, moving to New York, biggest city in the world. So Samir came in and he said, I think we should make a story about this, about Paul, you know, about this trade and about moving to New York City. And I remember saying back to Samir something along the lines of, 
oh, well, like, no one's talking about that. That's not something people want to watch. And he was like, it's our job to make them care, right? And I think it's something that I should have known because when I look back to club ball days when I was filming at Colorado, Colorado Club Lacrosse was not a high-profile story that everyone was looking to tell. But we told the stories of that team. We told stories about the characters, and people locked on, and they started to care. Granted, you were the biggest lacrosse player at the time, obviously. Right. Um, but, but it, it just, was it was an off-season it, trade, it, and there wasn't much conversation. That it was, was an off-season trade, and again, yeah, like you said, it wasn't all over the place. Mm-hmm. And looking back now, and when Samir said that, you know, we should make them care, that's actually the exact story that we want to tell, that's important for us to tell about the sport, because it was a really important thing that happened. Would you and say I, that for a, for a brand, whether it be athlete, let's say athlete in particular, they have to perform, they also have to have that ambition that, that vigor in a way to say, you know, let, let me make these, my audience care about what I'm doing, and that can be compelling enough. Absolutely. I think y- y- you have to rely on yourself to tell your own story or else no one else will. Yeah. Right? So it starts with you and having the passion that your story is important, it is valuable, and tell it the right way and people will believe it and it will become true Yeah. for everyone. To an extent of of posting on a platform like Instagram, how, how important is copy, the captioning, and what type of advice do you have for people? That's a tough one. I think, you know, Instagram copy still is tough for me every time I feel like I've got a great photo and I sit and I look at what copy to write. I ask Samir, I ask friends. I say, because it's important. You care about it. It's important. Yeah. yeah. It, it definitely is important as part of telling the story. Um, but it depends. I mean, some people on Instagram do really well and they don't have to write copy. You know, Justin Bieber, I think, does really well. He does not often write copy. Yeah. It's Justin Bieber. I think he's actually not even on the platform right now, granted. <laughs> but, but there are some people, right, where, like, just by nature of, the, of what you're posting is the content itself. and it doesn't require copy. So it comes down to what you're trying to get across. And what do you think of in way of consistency for I, that feature in particular? Is it important to, to maintain a similar writing style? When I look at the accounts that I... You know, follow and really connect to, they do, right? There's a, there's a style across all of their content. Yeah. If, if you're someone who writes copy all the time and then you leave it off, me as an audience member, I'm thinking, what happened there? Is that a mistake? Mm-hmm. What's he or she trying to tell me? Yep. And, and what about posting cadence? Well, one thing I was going to say is across the board, social media, I mean, it has a built-in feedback system, right? Like that's what it is. So if you post a picture, um, and after a week of posting content, some with copy, some without, you'll start to realize what people are reacting to, right? The data yeah. is literally in front of you. Um, oh, that worked. Oh, that didn't work. That's the easiest thing, uh, in my opinion, like the built-in feedback system of social media is unbelievable because when Colin and I make a YouTube video and we put it up, it's right there. Did we make a good video or not? You know, according to the audience's standards. Um, and the beautiful part about social media is you can just do it again. Just make another video. Or post another picture on Instagram. Try a different copy. Try a different strategy. And that is one of the most incredible parts of what happened. If you really go back to when I was in film school, if you wanted to make a piece of video, you were pitching it to a TV network, you are putting it in a film festival, maybe you put it on DVD and passed it around to your friends. I mean, how could you get feedback? How could you possibly get public feedback on your piece and on your brand. And so being comfortable again with the fact that, okay, I might be 
you know, changing things up a little bit. But if I experiment, that's okay. Um, and some audiences are more forgiving than others. But I think, in my opinion, like how much do you post on Instagram? I post um, in a day. Two to three times a day. Yeah, two to three times. I think it's During the season, I'll post three to four because I'll just have right. more relevant content to push out yeah, and your, that people care about. Your content's extremely relevant. I follow it. You post more than that on the story, you know, when yeah. you're narrating to us or connecting with us. Yeah. And it's a great opportunity to connect with you in between, you know, the two YouTube videos a week, in between the one podcast a week. All that is really important. Again, you are a product that needs to be consumed and you need to be open 24 hours a day, seven days a week if you want to make your brand your product. So how do I connect with you? You know, And I think whether that's uh, across all the platforms, uh, one platform, you as a brand have to figure out where you can produce consistent quality content. Colin and I and, and Julian, when we were first sitting in this building, that was the phrase we always used to say, consistent quality content. That's what we had to do on TLN. That time, we only had one battle, and that was YouTube. Today, as a content creator, you have... I mean, countless amounts of opportunity to create content. Yeah. I mean, it, it, making your own podcast wasn't even a thought. We couldn't even imagine that at, uh, in 2012, making a YouTube channel. Yeah. And so where is your opportunity to create consistent quality content? Um, you know, and, and with, the, with the thought that if I'm going to sign up to be a personality, I need to be able to be consumed 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Yep. And to give everyone a look at, at what's happening around us. You may have heard some beeps when we first started. So Brad Caller was here, who edits my current YouTube channel, and he was taking photos of us, and we have a big lighting set up. So there was a flash that was happening because we were creating promotional assets for this podcast. Mm -hmm. Sitting right to our left is a camera that's been running from, from the very beginning that yep. we'll probably use in a number of different ways as a time lapse, as you guys captured us setting up this area right now. Also, we'll cut out clips to use in way of promotion and post after this podcast release. So there are ways too that consistent quality content across multiple platforms where you figure out how to get the best bang for your buck during one sequence and be able to distribute that across multiple platforms and tell that story for consecutive days and then even revisit it through a behind the scenes a week later and then another week later show bloopers and sure. areas where we screwed up. So <laughs> there's a lot of creativity around it. And I think ultimately uh, you know, the, the, the bulk of, of the utility in this podcast is, is in how creative you guys are and how much you think about content. And during the closing uh, of this show, which will happen in a minute, I will, I will tell you guys how you can reach out to Colin Samir or me and, and send your questions. And we'll probably include a private layer of doing so, just so you know, if you have something specific as a young athlete that you, that you want them to answer or an idea, I bet I could get them to do it. Yeah, and I think additionally, um, I think if there's one thing that Colin and I love doing, it's uh, reviewing content, watching content. Yeah. So I would say that if there's one takeaway from, from what we said today or, or the conversation we had, it's if you want to be a content creator, find a way to get feedback. Find a way, whether that's being comfortable with your audience uh, giving you feedback or that's finding someone you trust creatively to give you feedback. Create your product and get feedback. Mm -hmm. That's the best way to get better at it. It's the best way to put out the best product. Mm -hmm. So... If you want to send us videos for us to check out, we'd be happy to check them out 
uh, and depending on the quantity of videos that come, give feedback as well. Yeah. Feed, feedback is incredibly important <laughs> in, the, in the process. Colin looks unhappy. <laughs> no, no. I outsource all my we'll feedback all to Colin. So, yeah. <laughs> Samir's just going to email it over to me. So, yeah. We'll have all that information in our show notes. Um, I, I will say, too, one thing that I learned from you guys in, in addition to feedback is if you are out there and you want to gain additional promotion, is try to get on other athletes' channels. There's that. There's that you know, podcast swapping, which is huge. YouTube channel swapping, which is huge. Show up on someone's Instagram feed, et cetera. Get them to tag you. That's a great way to, to build a, a larger audience or, or borrow audiences. Yeah, there is nothing I have seen like collaboration uh, that can make you grow as fast. In, unless you're putting out organic viral hits on a regular basis, which right. is really, really tough to do. Really tough. Collaboration is key yep. to growth. And that starts with a, a cold email or an outreach or a DM or a phone call. I, think I cold emailed you. Cold email. Yeah. You cold I emailed co- Colin. I, I cold emailed Paul. I cold emailed yeah. Colin. Did it with MLL. I did it with everyone. I cold called half the guests on this show. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Boys, it was great. It was awesome. I, I think this was an unbelievable experience to have you here in L.A. in the building that, you know, Colin and I started our, our, our business from. And it's just an amazing experience. I think I'm incredibly proud of, uh, you know, where you've come as a content creator, as an entrepreneur, and as an athlete. Appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm truly, like, honored to be on this because I'm a fan of this podcast, but even more so just inspired by you and the way that you operate your businesses now to see where you've taken yourself from a media standpoint is incredibly inspiring, I know, to both of us. Well, thanks, guys. Feeling is mutual, and I'm sure we'll do this again. If you enjoyed the episode as much as we did, please be sure to let us know. Honestly, hearing those guys talk shop is always super motivating for me. It makes me want to get out there and upload a new video. Also, dare I say, part one of my interview with Samir and Colin is now over, but there's a lot that can be taken from now until I pitch those guys on recording with them again. And that is, you have an open forum to ask them questions, anything related to content, for the immediate short term at least. They agreed to it. And here's how you can. You can tweet at them. Samir's Twitter is at Samir Chaudhry and Colin is at Colin Rosenblum. You can throw me in there from time to time. I'm at Paul Rabel. Here's their email, colinandsamir at gmail.com. Be the first to listen to future episodes as well as catch up on previous episodes, including my one-on-one conversation with New England Patriots head coach Bill Belichick. It was a great podcast. NFL QB Drew Brees, entrepreneur and investor Gary Vaynerchuk, and last week's guest, lacrosse star Lyle Thompson. You can find all of those episodes and more on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your pods. Also, if you subscribe, you will get a push notification whenever I drop a new episode. So shout out to our show's sponsors today, Away Travel and Profowers. Find out the recap and links to everything aforementioned visiting suitinguppodcast.com. Oh, and since this was a content episode, take a look at my YouTube channel this week. With the holiday season here, I paired up with these guys to launch a how-to lacrosse series in my backyard, basically showcasing the fundamentals of our sport, trying to acquire new players. And until next week, I look forward to having you guys for another Suiting Up podcast episode.